Hello, folks. This is Brock Lurie at the Brock Lurie Podcast with my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. Always. To change the song to uh, No Red Line on the Horizon. Putin <laughs> 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 uh, will be playing it all the time. <laughs> and all the Arab uh, enemies. Well, no peace line on the horizon. That's right. No peace. A very so sweet true. little color. <laughs> Light magenta. So true. Um, you know, first a word about, I want to talk about Putin and Ukraine and such, but because uh, there's so much to talk about. Romney had a great article recently in the Wall Street Journal article. It's a, it's a timeless article, uh, a very good point. And a point that we've raised, you and I, previously, um, and everyone would know this who plays even a little bit of chess. And I know you play a little bit of chess, and you understand this thoroughly as well. Look, uh, but the, the first thing I want to talk about is, is this Malaysian Airlines situation. Here's the, you know, if, to, to make sure that we, we make a proper reference to this. Uh, sadly, a Malaysian Airlines uh, airplane has mysteriously disappeared. It's just nowhere to be found. It's as if it just snapped out of thin air. It's gone. Okay. And they're still hunting for it. It's uh, been about a week now, and uh, they can't seem to find hide nor hair of it. There's no black box. There's no transponder. There's just gone. So I think they should make a TV series out of this. And here's what I'm thinking about the TV series. I think that they should make a, a show where this plane has crashed near an island. Um, people uh, now have to struggle to, to survive, and they, they're desperately trying to get off the island. But this island is, has some sort of magical force to it um, that doesn't let it be seen by other, other lands and such. And uh, I don't know, you know, as one of the actresses, I think you should get, probably get that really hot girl that was playing in the Hobbit movie. You know, she should be really good at that. And, um, and likewise, there should be some crazy stuff going on. Things you can't explain. I don't know, like polar how about, bears. How about a bald guy in a wheelchair? You know what? That would be fine, too. Who suddenly That'd can walk. Fine. That's right. Suddenly can walk. And this island, you know, has a magical healing powers as well. I mean, it, it, and we should have many different things associated with this island. And, and and you know what? It probably won't work because you'll have to eventually explain it all at the end, it, it, and you can never bring it all together. So forget about it. I, I won't even. I, won't even I want it. to see this show now. Yeah, this, yeah. You really ought to see this. Looks really show. good. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, my prayers to the to the families and the people who have obviously lost their lives in this this terrible uh, thing, and and it, it is actually quite terrible that they can't find the the airline. Uh, you know all the, you know all the intrigue behind it and such you know lies the the question of you know these people woke up one morning think they were going to travel to a nice interesting place maybe on vacation who knows um and then they're gone so life is precious life is very sad uh it can be very sad It, it just shows you um life is fragile so uh and speaking about the fragility of things um you know there was a great um Facebook posting from a friend of mine, and it was a, a a moving map, one of these moving maps, and it basically showed Europe um, and its ever-changing geography and political boundaries since the year basically a thousand, and it just counted up from the year a thousand to the present day. With the rise and fall of different empires and countries and you got the territory it. that they expanded and receded. Right, 
and it was all to the background music of um, um, Inception, which is great music, by the way. But it's very ominous music, and it, it, you see the, you know, what was once Gaul now becomes France, but of course the lines are very different. It's constantly changing. There was the Ottoman Empire, of course, and the, Ro the Holy Roman Emperor Empire eventually uh, gives way, and it's all these tiny Germanic states. And Anyway, you get the idea, and it's constantly changing, constantly changing. And I forwarded this over to a couple of friends, and I said, um, but we don't have to worry about Crimea because nothing will ever change in the future, right? <laughs> because <laughs> there's one thing this interactive map showed you. <laughs> was that things are what, always... What, that static thinking is dumb? That's right, the ultimate <laughs> static thinking. Things change. <laughs> it's not just a big place called the EU. Right, right. And exactly. has been for, since the Roman times. Things oh. change, and they always will change. And things change because someone lets them change. That's what it is. And Crimea is going to be now part of Russia because we've let it. The world has let it happen. You don't have to blame, I guess, Obama per se, or the United States, but... Or even Putin. It's uh, Putin is the frog in the scorpion story. What do you mean? He invaded? You mean yeah, he well, didn't know he was going right. to sting you? That's right. There's, well, I'm shocked, shocked that there's gambling going on here. Right. It's the same thing. So so Putin invades Crimea. Why? Uh, because he can. And because it's there. Because it's there. It's, 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 it's uh, beneficial to his country. It's strategically located. We, we have to acknowledge that. And that's why he did it, folks. And maybe he'll invade uh, eastern Ukraine. Who knows? Yeah, and we were playing chess earlier, and you made a, a move um, where I knew you were going to bring your queen out to a certain area. I just didn't know how to stop it or what the counter move was. But I knew you were going to do it. Right. Let's put it this way. I didn't know you were, but I thought you were. Okay. Well, similar to that, I think you made the point about Putin. Putin right. knows Obama wasn't going to move his pieces right. into he, – he didn't think that they wouldn't happen. He knew they wouldn't right. be coming well, let, in let, response. Let, let's, we want to talk about that, and then I want to talk about global, more of a global look at it. Because first of all, uh, as I explained to my many liberal friends on this subject who feel like it's unfair to um, paint Obama with this big – uh, broad stroke that if he uh, that, that somehow he should be doing something and they'll say what do you what do you expect him to do Mr. Lurie and uh, it's not it's not that we expect him to go invade Russia or put all of our troops in the, on the eastern border of Ukraine no we're not saying that at all what we are saying is that when you decide to reduce the military to pre-World War II levels and uh, also send the signal that there is nothing you will do to the rest of the world, they will get the message that there is nothing you will do. Okay, it's it's actually quite that simple. It's really that simple. And there's also a difference between a leader thinking that you probably won't do anything, and that same leader knowing that you won't do anything. That you definitely won't do it. Won't do anything. Yeah. And we have made clear that they that we won't do anything. How, do, how, how have we made that clear? I'll give you a couple of examples and then the ultimate example. One is that we did nothing when it came to the Green Revolution in Iran in 2009. We sat back and did nothing. Meanwhile, the, the opportunity was squandered. Two, uh, we did the same thing in Syria. With, uh, when the rebels started, there was an opportunity there. We, did, we, we let that opportunity squander, but we did nothing. Um, and... Now, with Russia, we're doing nothing as well. 
the 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 best way to know that we'll do nothing is when Obama himself says, "Hey, we're going to do nothing," right? Or when John Kerry says regarding Syria, he says the response will be on the chemical weapons. The response will be unbelievably small, quote unquote. Well, that's usually an indication that you won't do anything, folks. There's also one more thing Obama says yeah. that indicates he'll do nothing. And that's when he says, I will not rest, dot, dot, dot. Right, which means he won't do that's, anything. You know, you know he's right. not going to do it. Or he talks about red lines and uh, there are serious consequences. Yeah, some mumbo-jumbo. Yeah. I, I get this a lot from opposing counsel in a lot of my cases. They will, they will talk a good talk. They'll say, this is an outrage. In fact, I just received such a letter today. We filed a complaint. The other side sent a very uh, strongly worded letter with a lot of adjectives and adverbs. Um, you know, he, he was very eloquent in his uh, use of, of adverbs. And, um, but it was just a letter, and it was a lot of bluster. Had he actually wanted to scare us, he should have filed an actual motion rather than threatening to file the motion because that means nothing in law. If it, after many years of experience, you realize that when people are only sending letters, it means that they have nothing. But that's another story. Uh, it's not really another story because that's exactly what's happening with, with, with all the spokesmen for the administration, including Jay Carney, Obama, John Kerry, Hillary Clinton, and so on. When they, they, they talk tough, it means that they won't be doing anything. They certainly talk big, but they carry no stick, let alone a little stick. And that's what we're seeing here. So wh why do I bring this up? Because there are many on the left that will say, well, what do you want to do about this? Mr. Lurie, you know, what should we do about this? And they're now pointing to, you know, uh, things are so complicated. that Things are much more nuanced, you understand. Syria, for example, uh, the rebels are a, uh, a bunch of al-Qaeda uh, sympathizers. So uh, pick your poison. If you're going to support the rebels against Assad, the, the present leader, well, then you're just going to get al-Qaeda all over, all over your ass, so to speak. Uh, if you are... Shouldn't have probably used the word ass, huh? It was uh, very clear. Yeah, I think. But it, but it's pretty clear. So, um, and, and if you support uh, Assad, well, then you know he's a monster too. So you really shouldn't do anything on that. Likewise, they're saying the, the same thing about uh, about uh, Ukraine. The uh, Ukrainian le new leadership is is apparently very anti-Semitic and they're somewhat fascistic in impulse. Um, and therefore, do we really want to? Maybe think twice before we support the, this new government in the Ukraine. Okay. That's neither here nor there because the whole point that you and I raise, Ari, is that there, there are moments in time uh, where you – it's the fulcrum moment, right? Where there's an opportune time when you do support um, the opposition. 2009, we talked about that in Iran. The Green Revolution started. All Obama needed to say – and he didn't even need to – to, to send a single soldier anywhere in the world. All he needed to do was get on the microphone and say, hey, rebels, we support you. We love your cause. We, will be we are there behind you in spirit and otherwise. And any, Fight on. And anything you need, just ask, you get it. That's right. Who have scared the bejesus out of the ruling right. class. But all, that's all he would have to say. Mm -hmm. And he said nothing, and he said, well, let's wait and see. Okay, we waited and see, saw, and, and we saw that the bad guys uh, assumed power again, and they crushed the revolution, and uh, it was a horrible situation. Likewise, in Syria, we had an opportunity. The, the original rebellion was from freedom-loving generals. Who, and Christians. 
Hang on. From, from Well, yes, that's true, Christians as well. But, but good guys, people that you and I consider to be good guys. That was the moment to support them. Instead, we didn't support them. They couldn't do anything more, and Al-Qaeda instead took over that opportunity. Yeah, and it turned the conflict from where we had a per- people that we could deal with to both sides of the conflict today killed those people in the middle, those, if you will, moderates, and now we only have two bad choices. But we had the chance if we acted decisively it, it, on the front end of it without a bunch of Obama uh, passive uh, ponderance. Right. And, you know, I, I don't know that Obama could have done anything in Ukraine and Crimea per se, necessarily. But what he could have done before then was to act like a vanguard of a, of a beacon of liberty. And then Putin would have said, OK, I don't know what this Obama guy is going to do. And that's what you want to do. You want to make sure that, they, that you keep them wondering what you might do. Yeah, and what we could have done would have been quite interesting. Under the, because there's no way we didn't know what was going on in, uh, in the Crimea and in uh, Ukraine leading up to the Olympics. So being that there were all those terror threats for the Olympics, why didn't we move entire battle groups into the Black Sea? Entire battle groups. And then when the um, uh, Ukraine situation, the overthrow of the, the Russian guy in charge of Ukraine happened, we move another couple ships in and we just leave them there. Right. And then the Russians get the, the message, uh-oh, if we do anything, the American entire fleet is right there, and yeah. they're not moving. <laughs> keep them wondering. That's yeah, the keep idea. them wondering. But, uh, but, but, you know, look, Obama, this is one thing I'm, I'm absolutely clear about. He, and again, putting aside his intention to hurt America or otherwise, I'm very confident, and this is where you and I would definitely agree, I'm very confident he wants to reduce the military of America. He wants to weaken America's military readiness um, for whatever reason. And he wants to put America on parity with the rest of the world, that there should be no uh, strong America necessarily, no reason why it should be stronger, at least in proportion to our size, to uh, any other country. In other words, we shouldn't necessarily be as weak as, let's say, Greece, because Greece is a much smaller country, both in population and land size. But, you know, square mile for square mile, America should be no stronger than any other country. Kind of like Denmark has a really good health care system. How about we have Denmark's health care system and Denmark's military proportion? Okay. Something like that, yeah. you know? Yeah. But, but Hot this, guns. Th- this is what happens. Now, Romney wrote a very good article in the Wall Street Journal uh, just today, I believe. And um, here's an article that talks about the price of failed leadership. And it's the president's... Failure. I mean, what does he say here? He says the president's failure to act when action was possible has diminished respect for the U.S. and made troubles worse. Isn't that the essence of what we're saying? Isn't that the essence? And folks, look, part of your job as a leader of the free world, and I recommend you read this, by the way, March 17, 2014, uh, part of your job as, uh, as a leader of the free world is to, to take advantage of the tremendous amount of information that we obtain throughout the world. You're the president for crying out loud. You know this information much sooner and much more comprehensively than we know. At least I hope you do. <laughs> and you need to act accordingly. And when you see these options, you need to make decisions. In a sense, we pay you, Mr. President, to make these decisions. Yeah, if you think about it, that's the job. There yeah. really isn't any other job but that. Right. You know? If there's one thing that we expect the president to do, 
it's it's to be the face of America to the rest of the world and to respond accordingly and to be the commander in chief. That that is what you really are. All this other stuff um, uh, with regard to bills and laws and regulations and stuff like that, you're there to pass judgment on them by way of a veto or otherwise. You know, either sign the bill or you veto the bill. That's really it. Stay, you know, that that's your job. You're the you have that kind of power, but that's the way you should view yourself. Yeah, but the, oh, but those jobs aren't in, in the immediate. Hold yeah. on. Yeah, that's how you view yourself. Your main task as a real active player is in foreign policy. And here, my friend, you've completely flipped it over. Here, you take a back seat in the foreign policy arena where you lead from behind, where you allow, let other countries veto uh, things, uh, for example, the internet um, transfer of power. Uh, you're, you're basically giving a veto power to other countries, and you want to take the back seat. And, but you want to take the front seat when it comes to domestic issues. You want to tell America how to behave, how they should run their businesses, um, how they should view uh, gay marriage or whatever it is, all the social issues of the day. That's where you want to be really involved, healthcare and so on. It's all backwards, Mr. President, all backwards. And you're making your job much harder for yourself as well in the process. Um, you're, you're, you're hurting us in both arenas, both in the foreign policy arena and also the domestic arena. Um, and the economy, of course, is, is going to tank and America's role in the world will diminish. But other than that, I think you're doing a great job. That's it. That's, that's my concern about this, this president. He doesn't see the opportunities. He won't take the opportunities and he'll fail forever as a result of it. Now, we've seen this time before, right? Um, whenever some big crisis happened in, overseas, he's consistently failed to act. Consistently. And Honduras is a good example of that, right? Remember that? It's a long time ago now. Yeah, but it he, happened the same week as the Iranian Green Revolution. That's right. Exact, I forgot about that. Exact same week. Right. Uh, Benghazi is another example. Yeah, and of course, who sat can, back and did nothing. And who can forget uh, Mohammed Morsi and the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt? Good, good example. Mubarak, he did nothing. Um, these are these are opportunities to kind of take a position, but not to just wait and see and see how things will play out. No, sir, you can make these things play out the way you want them to for the betterment of everyone around the world and stop the bad guys. Yeah, and not the betterment of America, but the betterment of the citizens of that the country. The world. The world. The world uh, enjoys the benefit. And when, when France is taking a lead, <laughs> you know that you're not doing your job. Uh, France has you know, taken the initiative with Syria, or tried to take the initiative. Um, and, and France also tried to have to take the initiative in Mali, I think it was. And in point. the Iranian negotiations for the, yes. allowing them to keep the nuclear weapons. France was the country that at least delayed that a few days before yeah. that deal was, that horrible deal was struck. Yeah. Um, look, uh, we're, we're going to see this more and more. I want to I change. Uh, so this is, this is the lesson to be learned. You know, when we look back on the Obama administration, we will look back at an administration that and it'll be synonymous of a, an administration that sat back and did nothing while, while the rest of the world burned. And he could have done something and he didn't do something. And now we're, we will have to clean up the mess. But as I said before, we'll have all the answers within 10 years of him leaving the presidency. 
and it's going to come from a man named Barack Obama himself. He will be the one to reveal everything that he believes because I'm sorry to say it, uh, but there's no other getting around it that he's a narcissist. He really feels and believes everything that people say of him, and he demands that people respect him accordingly, and so that anything he does must be a genius move, a brilliant chess move in the process. So you don't think as an ex-president he's going to be like George W. Bush and go to his ranch in some obscure corner of the country and just paint portraits and visit veterans no. off the radar of the media? No, he, he, will, he will. Maybe he, show up at a ball game. He not only wants to be like Bill Clinton is now, but he wants to do so on steroids. He, he thinks that he will be even more impactful after he's president. He can't wait to be the elder statesman. He just can't wait. He's chopping at the bit. This presidency business is annoying him. Uh, you know, it's, it's cutting away from his yeah, golf too time. Too many rules. So many rules and people, the cameras are always on him. Wouldn't it be better if he can just simply comment? And, Do you think? And, and, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Wouldn't it be better if he can just simply comment and, and convey his great wisdom to the rest of the world uh, without having any responsibility or accountability for those, those words. That's what he wants to do. And he's going to write books about it. And, and there'll be several of them in the process. And he thinks that he will make millions off of each of those books and that people will be hanging on every single word. What will those books be, you ask? All right. Let's, first of all, a lot of them will be explanation books. Some of them will be like, here's why I did what I did with North Korea and, and how brilliant it was in the process. And it would have been far worse had I not done this. Yeah. If the, I didn't send Dennis Rodman there to drink with Kim Jong-un, right. who knows what cities he would have used. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> it's the, it, it, could have been for, it could have been worse presidency sort of thing. That, that's, that's how everything will, will falter. He will explain that everything that we now have, whatever is good in the world, he'll take credit for it. Whatever is bad in the world, he'll say, what did you expect me to do? I couldn't handle that. Um, and then when it comes to the to the Iranian situation, he'll he'll say uh, he'll explain why he did such a great job in holding them off, and the the great deal that he brokered with John Kerry. But Israel will be the most interesting thing. Israel he will let loose, in the same way. And and I respect Bill Clinton for this. Bill Clinton wrote about the peace process after the peace process, even after after the presidency, his presidency. And he spoke about Israel being as, as being on the right side of that negotiation table, the correct side, and that Arafat was evil. And um, he, he called it like, it like it was, like you and I would at least call it, right? Obama will do exactly the opposite. Obama will explain. He'll pull a Jimmy Carter and call them an apartheid state or worse. That's right. It'll be an apartheid state. They're running um, a, a genocide against non-Jews. Sure. And oh, he'll be, he'll be out there with with a pro-Palestinian, pro-Muslim groups um, fighting the cause and, and negotiating on their behalf against Israel. And uh, it'll, it'll be an embarrassment. It'll be so beneath the presidency, or at least I should say the ex-presidency. Yeah. But that's what he'll do. You know how you and I have a difference in opinion on his intention? And you made a very interesting analogy that I'd like to augment with my own take on because I think it, it illustrates the difference between us. If the world's on fire, you believe Obama's doing nothing. I believe he's pouring gasoline on it. 
So based on that analogy, Mm -hmm. here's, here's where, with the point you just made, I'd make the analogy, which, which I think is interesting for the listeners because it shows not all conservatives who believe in God think the same thing, right? right? God has not programmed us. (laughs) Uh, You think he'll be out writing books. I think that he looks at the presidency as a resume builder so he can be UN secretary general and worse than writing books. He'll be writing books too. Right. Okay, because there are no restrictions on the Secretary General taking some pen and ink and writing out what he thinks. That's a little homage to our friend uh, Alfonso Rachel. Uh, but he's going to be brokering these deals between the U.S. and its adversaries. And he's going to be sending U.N. peacekeepers, in finger quotes, into hotspots where the U.S., hopefully led by Ted Cruz, is trying to intervene for the cause of liberty and perhaps unleashing U.N. troops against U.S. troops. Who, I mean, who knows what this, this guy's going to figure out how to do with the acquiescence of his friends in, in the elite places in life like George Soros or the international community or God knows where. As, 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 as bad as we now perceive and correctly perceive Jimmy Carter to be as an ex-president and how he's gone off the rails and said the stupidest things and taken the worst positions, at least vis-a-vis Israel and the Arab world, as bad as that is, Obama will be far worse. Yes. And, and what's also kind of worse about the situation is that Obama will be, what, 55 when he leaves office? Yeah, he's got a lot of years ahead of him. He's got a lot of years. He'll he'll live another 40 years, and he can create a lot of damage on that. And what he's going to do is he's going to go to this and that speaking engagement, uh, and he he really believes he will be perceived as the elder statesman who will say all these wise things. And, and of course, it won't come off that way. He'll, He'll, in fact, be quite stupid in the process. But he won't realize that he's going to be the useful idiot that all the Arab countries will glom onto. Uh, and talk about how we must have more tolerance and love of the of Muslims and Islam and generally speaking, and uh, he'll be be the representative for for them. Not not just for I'm not saying for Islam, but he'll be the representative for all these wildly liberal causes uh, and anti-Israel causes. That's the that's the guy. He might even be so foolish as to take his lovely daughters, and I'm not. Saying that sarcastically, they are innocent children who yeah. are not at fault for any of this. Right. And he may choose, because we know what a foolish man he is, to raise them in a Sharia-compliant country. Oh, I see. What a, I don't know about what that. What a horrible thing to do to, to daughters. But yeah. out of his own warped image of what fairness and tolerance and acceptance is. Well, I don't know about that. I I. I I really would beg to differ on that. Well, part. I'm assuming the UN will be based in Saudi Arabia in a few years <laughs> oh, after Ted Cruz kicks it out of the You're country. You're really thinking long term. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know. I'm playing chess, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Uh, the only way that that can happen, look, anything's possible, as they say in life, uh, so long as you obey the law of physics. But uh, the only thing that, uh, the only way that could happen is somehow that they, the country has, for example, gone to pot so economically so badly. And we've lost our sovereignty uh, so much that it, it's worthwhile to go to other countries such as, I don't know, Belize, uh, you know, um, uh, Australia, New Zealand, you know, countries that still have capitalism. You don't think he wants to a, live in a, in a Sharia-compliant resort on the, uh, you know, Gulf of... Uh... You, you were, uh, I was kind of going with you on this one. Oh, okay. But you kind of uh, stumped, you know, kind <laughs> Sorry. of... Sorry. You stepped on my toes on that one, my friend. Uh, my point is, 
hey, wait a minute, we are going through a, a, oh. uh, a loss of our sovereignty, uh, you know, a, a destructive economic policies. Um, at some point, he may himself look around and say, wow, what a, what a difficult country to live in. I got to live somewhere else. Um, but not, not realize the irony is that he was the one who's created that very situation. Right. Similar to when he talks about the poison being in the system or the damage done to the economy when he took office was actually done by his own stimulus bill, right, not exactly. by George Bush. Of course not. No, he would like to say that poison came from somewhere else. No, he created this mess. And uh, he, he may very well discover, no, strike that, he will never discover this uh, because he's in a different position. I was going to bring up the example of George McGovern. I was just thinking that yeah. when he went to run the bed and breakfast and yeah. realized that uh, being a business owner is a difficult thing. Yeah, and that, that these rules and regulations and these high taxes were really just whittling away at his ability to run anything effectively and that they were destructive to it. And this, you know, from the most liberal man, you could, in fact, he was the poster child of liberalism in the early 70s. He, he George McGovern liberalism, you know, was the, the watershed moment in, in liberalism. And this man, even this man, understood that, gosh, you know, maybe I ought to rethink my whole way about this. Yeah, maybe Barry Goldwater do a thing or two. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe or, or, or not even, or, or Thomas Sowell did, or um, Milton Friedman. These guys, you know, they, they spoke some wisdom there. So, but Obama will never be in that position because, first of all, he, he was, he will have been president about that time. He will get that wonderful pension that will serve him through the rest of his life. He'll have security guards. He'll always be in his bubble. George McGovern, by contrast, never became president. And he, you know, you don't get, and nor vice president. So you don't get that, that bubble anymore. He's, he's at best like a Nancy Pelosi or a Harry Reid or, you know, and, and now he, you know, you, you don't get forever benefits. Uh, just because you were once a senator or a congressman. Yeah, just the pension, the money, which yeah, but, is... But that's not that's that much. Not the, that's not the uh, cushy uh, right. benefits. Yeah, if you want to make money, you've got to make money. And uh, George Bush, uh, sorry, George McGovern uh, ended up having to deal with reality. <laughs> and uh, so that's... Anyway, Obama will never have to deal with reality. That's the... He will, he will die, Obama, uh, God willing, uh, many, many years, uh, 120... Um, but when he dies, he will have not experienced any reality in life whatsoever. Do you realize what a curse that is? Sink that in, dear listener. Yeah. I want you to sing that. When he dies, he will not have experienced a single moment of reality in his entire life. He will not have experienced what it's like to be fired, what, what, what it's like to make a payroll, what it's, what it's like to create something invention-wise, what it's like to um, to be told you're doing a terrible job, what it's told to uh, what, what it's like to have your your whole industry change on you, and have to reinvent yourself. Yeah. He will not have to experience any of that, or be told what a great job he did authentically. Right. You know, because in your business, there are times you do a good job. And someone is there to, like a client tells you, you did a great job, and you know you did, and nothing feels better. Yeah, and, he's, still, and, he's still going through the self-esteem movement yeah. uh, no, as, I, as he was yeah. as a child. No, I would, I would differ We're with all you great. I'm all great. I believe he has experienced some reality, but that was the last reality he experienced was in high school. Because in that, it was before he got into the affirmative action college programs. The, the reality of 
dope smoking kids is still reality. It's warped reality, but it's still it's still somewhat normal. Once he got into college where he was able to skate through with mediocre grades and be promoted just because of whatever reason, that's when he entered the bubble he's still in today, that he'll be in permanently. I'll, I'll so, tell you, uh, well, I'll stay consistent with my, with my principle, which is he was always in a bubble. Uh, you think of Punahou, which uh, goes from kindergarten to 12th grade. You think that Punahou didn't love having uh, a, a black uh, student in its... They, in its well, yeah, on, they, probably they, they probably did. They probably did. And uh, as... You know, I, I went to Punahou. I, that's, that was my school, too. And I can tell you... Uh, no wonder you like him. <laughs> I can tell you that that school, as diverse as it is, did not have a lot of black students. Not that, that it's... Uh, I think it was reflective of the, the population at large. But I think that he was very much a plus for them from a diversity point of view. Now, now Punahou has no problem having diversity. It, the, in fact, the whites are a very small minority uh, of the students there. Uh, there may be more my, more white students there than other schools. That's that's fair enough. But we're still a minority there. And uh, but having a black student was still a unique thing. And he just skated along. Uh, he didn't struggle at all. He, he certainly didn't care about school. We know that. He he did take drugs. To his credit, he acknowledges that. This was not a man who tried hard at all. So uh, he was if he was not in the bubble of being told what a great person he was ever since high school. He was in the bubble of drugs. <laughs> Uh, be, before then, too, there was no time that he had to work hard. There was no time he had to struggle. I think you can only say maybe as a, the struggle was he had to kind of deal with different fathers and the, the separation from his, from his uh, between his mom and, and his stepdad and so on. I, I, I don't want to minimize that. But somehow he survived, and this was not a real struggle for him. Everything that he, that, that he did uh, came to him on a silver plate, and, uh, and that's the way he lived his life. He went to Occidental, which, by the way, was a feeder school from Punahou. So it's it's a good school. Don't get me wrong, but many Punahou people went to Occidental for some reason. There was a um, there's a relationship there, and then uh, and then he decided to transfer to Columbia, and that was easy enough for him to do. Yeah, and then he became an Ivy Leaguer. Basically. An Ivy Leaguer. The, the, we don't see any of his grades. We know that his grades were. I mean, if if they were fantastic, you can rest assured they would have touted them. And then he goes to Harvard Law School. Uh, where they also don't show his uh, grades, and then he somehow becomes the leader of the the law review there. Big deal. It's not it's not a big deal. I can tell you, it's that's a popularity contest, and no doubt they wanted to be the first class to have the first black uh, president of the law review. It's not not hard to to be the president of law review or moot court or any of those things. I say this as a lawyer. Um, it's really not not hard at all. And then, of course, he uh, then becomes a community organizer, which is nothing. It's not reality. Uh, and then, next thing you know, he becomes the state representative in Illinois. And, uh, and then just wafts uh, through life with the broth of, of affirmative action and everyone wanting to, to see this articulate young man become the president of the United States. And here we are, having done nothing. Yeah. And, and, and he will do nothing in his life yeah. except for write books give some speeches, and uh, demand respect, R-S-P-E-C-T, as he said. R-S-P-C-T. <laughs> That's right. Respect. Uh, now, Mike I, I'm Mike, making a reference yeah. to his own misspelling. Yeah. Uh, had had, had uh, George Bush done that? Oh, front page New York Times. Right. And it was front page New York Times when Dan Quayle did it with potato. Do you remember this? Yeah. He, he uh, spelled potato with an E at the end, and there was no end of comment about that. Yeah, but an interesting thing about 
uh, what you said about uh, Obama's uh, post-presidential life. Mike Medved makes a great point about Jimmy Carter, and I think the same will be true of Obama. Because it, being that he lives in this non-reality world, he's never as good as he thinks he is in his own mind. And everyone can see a naked emperor in him. And what Medved says about Jimmy Carter is, I wish him nothing but the longest life and the biggest megaphone so we can hear what an idiot he is every time he opens his mouth. And I think the same will be true of Obama. Oh. I hope he lives a long life and is forever a Nelson Mandela-level visible figure not a statesman, but a visible figure representing the ultimate failure of liberalism in the early 21st century for the rest of the 21st century for American voters. From here until the year 2170, no one will vote for a Democrat in a national state. will be like, vote. I don't want to do that again. Well, I agree with you 100% about that. And I think that his megaphone will be bigger than the Jimmy Carter megaphone. And um, he will love to hear himself speak. Jimmy Carter, by contrast, you know, I, I think he is interested only in maybe rectifying his image because he knows he has a very bad image. Um, and that's what's motivating him, I think. I think had he been a good president or had he somehow presided over a decent economy, then he could simply say, okay, I was a decent president. I, 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 I took care of the economy. I'm a pretty good president. The inflation was reasonable. And, he, and you would never hear from him again. Instead, because he was such a bad president, he engaged in um, the home building, uh, you know, a charity. Yeah. Uh, and, right. Whatever. Whatever that's called. Whatever. And then the Israel, and then then engaged in anti-Israel politics, which is always the cheap man's way of gaining some money. But when it comes to Obama, slightly different story, my folks, uh, my friends. Uh, whether he's a terrible president or not, this man wants to hear himself speak. Remember, this is the man who, as a gift to the Queen of England gave her an iPod full of what you say, not music, <laughs> only his speeches. This man loves himself. He loves to hear himself talk. He loves to, to think that everyone thinks he's so wise. But uh, you're not wise, my friend, when you don't take opportunities and you don't seize what you need to do as president of the United States. And this is the problem we have with you, Mr. President. You are not leading as a president. We expect you to protect us. You have failed. Folks, this is Barack Lurie at the Barack Lurie Podcast. We'll talk to you next week about this and many other topics. All the best.